Good morning. How are you? Good. I want to do something to start. Um, if you've been married for 20 years or longer, would you please stand up? 20 years or longer? If, to, yes, and still. <laughs> there is some confusion sometimes. Thank you, Del. Okay. Uh, if 30 years or less, well, 29 years, let's say, or less, go ahead and have a seat. Thirty-eight years or less, 39 years or less, have a seat. So 40 or more, stay standing. Under 40, have a seat. And you're still so young. It's great. Uh, less than 50 years, have a seat. Wow. Less than 60 years, have a seat. <laughs> All right. One, two, three, four. Four couples. We're learning lots already. This is good. Okay. I, I would like to, for us to give a round of applause to all of those families that just stood up. <clears throat> and then, then you can have a seat. You four couples can have a seat, but I want keep talking to me. I want to know what the secret is. Go ahead, have a seat, but tell me the secret. You four that have made it to 60 or more. What's 62, I know. What else? Pardon? I know that's true in my, the house that I grew up in, actually. Went from a farm, farm boy to washing the laundry. So it can happen. What else? What, what are your secrets? Did, did you? <laughs> Good. <laughs> Does he understand you is my question. Okay. What more secrets? Tell us. Be kind and thoughtful. You haven't been married 60 years. <laughs> Actually, that reminds me. I, I forgot. I, I have one marriage joke, and I forgot it at your anniversary. I meant to say when I got up at your anniversary that it's been a good, long marriage. And this applies to all of you who've been 60 years or more. Good for him and long for her. <laughs> right? We're going to talk about marriage a little bit. And I, that part was light and funny to break the ice. And um, there was a missionary in the Philippines who pointed out one time that he said, you know, we, we're counting the wrong things because we count baptisms. Missionaries tend to do this, right? We, we, if we're mature, we don't. We, we look at some deeper things, but, but nevertheless, we still do, right? We count baptisms. He said, I can think of hundreds of baptisms that I've seen. I can only think of five Christian funerals. He said, we're, we're counting the wrong end. We celebrate weddings. We need to really celebrate long anniversaries because it's that long commitment, that hard fight, sometimes literally, <laughs> that is very praiseworthy and that blesses all of us as a community. I, I'm tasked with talking about marriage today and I have to tell you, 
Mike, you said last week it was terrifying to stand up here. I'm really uncomfortable talking about this. Uh, because my marriage isn't easy. In fact, um, you can ask the office staff. I walked in on Monday and they said, what's wrong? Because I was wearing it on my face. I said, my marriage is a mess and I have to preach on marriage on Sunday. (laughs) A true statement. Um, In my experience, so I'm years old now. When I was 25, I moved to Japan, and not long after I got there, this young Japanese Christian lady rode up to the church building on a motorcycle and got my attention. And the rest is history, Um, and it hasn't been easy. It's not easy. It's not easy right now. Um, Marriage is hard, and, and marriage... To stick with it, to stay with it is a struggle. And our culture um, is in turmoil about this. So I'm supposed to talk about kind of the challenges to traditional marriage in today's society. And I'm afraid that I'm going to probably rub everybody in the room the wrong way at one point. Because I have a problem with the question itself a little bit. And I'll I'll let you know what I mean by that. I failed to do this in the first service. I'm not going to fail to do it in the second service. We're talking about challenges to traditional marriage today. Uh, Here's where I start rubbing people the wrong way, maybe. If you struggle with pornography, if you have experienced infidelity in your marriage, if you've been through a divorce, if you've experienced or witnessed abuse, let me say to you, you are not the threat to traditional marriage today. And if you miss anything else in this lesson, please get that. uh, All of those things that make us uncomfortable to talk about, all of the people who live in that space that's hard for the church to wrestle with. All of those folks were terribly attracted to Jesus. And as a church, we've got to figure that piece out. That all of the folks that struggled, that sometimes we don't know how to be together, and, and I'm talking about in this room even, those folks, when they experienced with Jesus, fell in love with him. And if we're talking about traditional marriages and the challenges to it in this culture and this day, we have to be able to figure out how we can be more like Jesus so that we don't run off the people that are hurting the most. Okay? That's all my caveats. I told you I'd make you uncomfortable. Um, So what is the enemy? Because it seems like traditional marriage is under attack, and I say that all the whole line in quotation marks, okay? Okay? Because I want to ask the question to begin with, what do we mean by traditional marriage? And actually, this is a kind of a fun room to ask it in because we have all of these different cultures coming together. And I suspect if we spent some time probing, we'd get some different responses. But, but I'm going to start with myself. Here's, here's the image that I see when I think about traditional marriage. 
How many of you, this is lots of flop potential, but I'm going to do it anyway. Recognize this tune. Anybody? It's the theme song to Leave It to Beaver. Do you remember Leave It to Beaver? Okay, I know I'm reaching for a, a southern analogy here, but June and Ward Cleaver, the parents on Leave It to Beaver in the 1950s, early 1960s, they were kind of the image of the clean-cut, upper-middle-class North American family, right? Mom, dad, mom, June Cleaver was the perfect mom, Ward Cleaver was the perfect dad, and then they had these two boys, um, and of course the show revolved around Theodore Cleaver, the Beave. Or the Cosby Show. Even by bringing that one up, you, you see where I'm going, right? Um, we're feeling like, I think, that that image of the traditional marriage, the solid family, is being shaken up by our culture. I want to question whether we were camped out in the right place anyway with those images. So, Leave It to Beaver. How many of you know what I'm talking about with Leave It to Beaver? Okay. More in this group than the first service. <laughs> Anyway, it was this kind of classic family. Mom, mom stayed at home and was the perfect mom. Dad worked. He was the perfect dad. Wise, wise responses to everything. Always controlled. He was never, never lost his temper. The boys got into very safe trouble. Not real trouble. Um, Hugh Beaumont, who played Ward Cleaver, was actually an ordained Methodist minister in real life. And his marriage fell apart after 33 years. Barbara Billingsley, who played the perfect North American mom, was married three times. When the show went off air and then they brought it back in the 80s, the Beave was a middle-aged divorced man with two kids living with his mom. Right? That, that image was a facade to begin with, a Hollywood facade but it happened to line up with some of our ideals as Christians for a time. And then it fell apart. The, the actors behind it, their life was a struggle. And then the show itself, when it came back, was true again to North American life. Blended families, marriages in trouble, all of this stuff. Um, the Cosby Show, what do I say about Bill Cosby? I loved him growing up. You know, Now he's serving time for unmentionable stuff in prison. Uh, in my own life, uh, my parents don't know some of this stuff, so mom, <laughs> plug your ears. Um, I'm, I'm going to talk about some, some gross stuff that's happened to me in ministry. I was propositioned by a bisexual man uh, who I ministered with. Um, I said No. I'm still friends with him. We worked with a young lady in Japan with whom Michiko was really close to this lady. Uh, she was part of a tiny church plant. They were working hard. They were struggling. She was there. There was uh, with an older single minister missionary. Uh, they were in a relationship, a sexual relationship. And he was still married, I think, on paper back home. It was messy. 
Uh, we served at a church where we had four generations of single women. Um, every generation became single moms in a little tiny church. It, it was messy, right? Then I get into my own marriage, and guess what? It's messy sometimes. So, so are our marriages, is the institution of marriage in trouble? Maybe. Are we scared? Definitely. But I want to ask a question about that fear. Is our fear based on the ungodliness and the, and the unraveling of marriage, is it completely that? Or is it because, possibly, pop, pop culture is not in sync with us anymore? And if that's the case, leave it to Beaver, The Cosby Show, um, I asked some of the young guys after what some examples would be today, and I can't share the examples because the, the shows about families now are a total mess. But we're out of sync now, and I, I want to say two things about that. Um, if, we're, if we're afraid because we're no longer the ones at the center of culture calling the shots, we need to be careful about that. That, that's our fear because we're losing power to tell the culture around us what to do. That's not exactly how Jesus operated. Um, secondly, everybody take a deep breath because the church has been here before. So when we talk about traditional marriage, here's another definition of traditional marriage, Okay? Girl reaches 13 years of age, she's marriageable. Boy has been through uh, the first levels of his apprenticeship to learn his dad's trade. So his parents and her parents get together and decide, we think our kids should get married. The boy might have some input into it, the girl maybe not so much. It's an arranged marriage by the parents. Uh, if the man dies before he has a son, his brother has to marry the woman. And the boy that's born to the woman will now be the dead brother's son. If that brother dies, his brother has to marry the wife. This is called Leverite marriage, right? If, and this part's not, that part's in the Bible. This part's not in the Bible, but it is in the history of um, kind of Judaism around the time of Christ. If the wife can't bear a child for the husband in the first 10 years, he has the right, he possibly has the duty to divorce her because he has to have children. Okay, so if you're a young man, you have to get married because you have to have kids. And if your wife can't produce, you have to divorce her. That's a definition of traditional marriage. That was, that's in our history. That's in our faith history, Right? Jesus turned that on its head. But at the same time, the culture around them, I don't think they'd be surprised by much that they'd find in our culture. The Roman and the Greek cultures had all kinds of liberalisms, libertinisms. It was messy, right? External to the marriage. And the church was in that situation too. Jesus challenged all these definitions of marriage. So I'm just going to kind of do a quick skim through of some of the 
things Jesus had to do with, with marriage and relationships like this. He said, you heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Guys, we're in trouble by this definition. Later, Jesus is asked about divorce, and he says, if you divorce somebody and marry again, you're, you're committing adultery unless it's for mar- marital unfaithfulness, right? Jesus set a very high ideal for marriage to the extent that the disciples said, how can anybody do this? And he said, look, for, for people, all things are impossible. For God, everything is possible. For you, maybe not. So Jesus' ideal was way up here. But then, listen to how he interacts with people. Do you remember the woman who came into Simon's house, Simon the Pharisee, when Jesus is there? He's with the religious leaders, the folks that had all the rules right. And then this woman walks in. She was just called a sinful woman, probably a prostitute. Breaks the alabaster jar and pours tons of money worth of uh, perfume on Jesus. Welcomes her in. Mary Magdalene, do you remember her backstory? So she's one of the inner circle of disciples. Prostitute, seven demons. Okay? Offers living water to the Samaritan woman the lady who had four husbands and was now living with her common-law husband. In John 8, the woman dragged out from probably a setup. The woman caught in adultery. Uh, Jesus gets down in the dirt with her and challenges the people, hey, if you are sinless, go ahead, throw the first stone. Nobody threw a stone. There was one person there who had the right to throw the stone, right? Did he? He didn't. He stood beside her. Um, marriage is hard. And I think it's even scarier in a society that seems to have very different ideals than we do or did. But I want to ask the question, are we scared because of actual, maybe new, threats to marriage? Or are we scared because we're no longer the ones at the center of society calling the shots? Even if we have shifted from the center, Mike Coughlin made this comment after the sermon in the first cent- sermon. Even if we have shifted from the center, we're not the ones calling the shots anymore. Our center remains. That's where I think we need to, that's what we need to hold on to. So, how are we to be? How are we to exist? How are we to be as a church as we move to the margins of society? I think there's great encouragement in knowing that we've been here before and that marriage has shifted and been threatened for all of its history. The idyllic marriage of Victoria era England or 1950s suburban North America was maybe somewhat of a facade. There are probably some better foundations for us to build on. So what I want to do for the rest of this is to reflect. Uh, I, I was able to preach a wedding in uh, August, and I want to share some of that because I think going forward, this is where we should aim, where we should build. Uh, this sermon is titled Marriage as, what is it? Marriage Reflections on the Edge. So on the edge of society, as we move from the center, we're not the ones calling the shots anymore, marriage reflections. My own marriage, 
Um, a metaphor that I use a lot, it was I, like, I was 25 years old, I had some notches to my belt, I'd done some things well, I, I probably thought more highly of myself than I ought to, and then I got married. And it was like um, a big mirror on the, on the wall, right? It's like, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? And the answer was always, well, not you. <laughs> I didn't know how short-tempered I was, I didn't know how self-centered I was, um, and my wife didn't have to tell me those things. I learned them because marriage was this big reflection back to me of what a creep I was sometimes. Then I had kids, and it's an uncomfortable thing. I say this kind of jokingly, but really, some of my deepest concerns is watching my kids learn my bad habits. Marriage is this reflection, right? It reflects something else, too, that's much better than that, much better than me. Marriage reflects covenant. Uh, Marriage is a deep and ancient mystery, a new creation born of love, a new couple, a new family, but born of a different sort of love than what we hear on the radio or watch in the movies. Sometimes Hollywood does get it right. I'm not against everything there. But often the romantic love that pervades our screens and speakers is skewed. It's reduced. It's an imitation of the real thing. So let our love be built on God's covenantal love, deep and rich and full and true. The Greek word agape conveys a love that is boundless, limitless, rich in grace. The Hebrew word hesed speaks of a love that is steadfast and merciful and persistent. It doesn't let go. Our culture sometimes idolizes a sort of cheap love. And we do this in here too. We can't put all the blame on those folks out there. We have, a, we have embraced this stuff, folks. Um, just read some Hallmark cards. But it's a, sort of, it's a definition of love that is one part physical attraction, one part infatuation, and three parts imagination. It fades quickly. God's covenantal love is made up of conviction, affection, and honesty. It deepens with time. Cheap love is about two people exploiting each other for their own happiness. Covenantal love is about two people enjoying each other for mutual satisfaction, for the good of others, and for the glory of God. The aim is different. Cheap love craves the other as an object to own. And this is one that I've been wrestling and wrestling and wrestling with. You listen to, actually, find me a love song on the radio that doesn't do this. And I'll figure out some sort of reward where it's not, the message of the song is not, I love you, I want you, I need you, you belong to me. Hear how possessive that language is? That's the love of our culture, and we bought it, I think, almost wholesale. Covenantal love pours out the self and grants freedom to others. That's what the cross is about. Jesus didn't come to enslave us all. He poured himself out to set us all free. Cheap love expects and demands happiness. Covenantal love seeks holiness. Covenantal love is essentially selfless. It puts the needs of the other first. So marriage reflects covenant. In the Old Testament, the character of of this love is revealed in three primary covenants, Abraham, Moses, and David. Genesis 12, God says to Abram, Go from your country and to your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. 
I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will, the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you or by you or through you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In the same way, the covenantal love into which you are entering asks you to leave your homes. When we're married, we're asked to, to leave our homes, to become something new and great by God's blessing, and to be a blessing to others. The more deeply we love each other, the more our marriages will be blessings to those around us. Moses in the exodus from Egypt and the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, the entry into the promised land, it's all set in the context of liberation and the hope of establishing a lasting home, right? They're getting away from Egypt, they're going to the promised land, but the point is holiness. That's where you get from exodus into Leviticus. The point, the refrain again and again and again is, I'm the Lord your God, as I am holy, so be holy, right? Be holy, be holy, be holy. When we're married, we kind of establish our freedom from our families. We traverse this desert of singlehood. Uh, then we stand ready to cross this river into a new home. I think as we make that journey into marriage, into a new life together, we ought to be holy as God is holy. David, third covenant, the great king of Israel, sought to build a house for God, but David in all his greatness was broken and flawed Instead of David building a house for God, God established David's household and throne forever, ultimately in the reign of Christ. In our lives together, in our marriages, in our families, we might discover some brokenness and flaws, maybe some even as rough as David's. So instead of us trying to build the house, why don't we let God establish our households, embrace the reign of the one eternal and good King Jesus, the son of David, and set our hope on him? Marriage reflects, remember the mirror, marriage reflects covenant, marriage reflects Jesus' selfless love. In the New Testament, God reveals his love for the new covenant forged by Jesus' life, death on the cross, resurrection, his ascension to kingship, which we remember in baptism and communion. In baptism, we die to the old self and live to a new self. In marriage, The two people begin a lifelong journey of learning to die to their individual selves and live to the new person, to the couple, to the family, to the other. And I can tell you from my experience, that's not an easy lesson. I'd rather not die to myself, even in my family. It's hard. Marriage reflects the union between Christ and the church. In Genesis 2, God created from dust, Adam. Then from Adam's flesh, he created the bride, Eve. It was the institution of marriage. As Paul refers back to this, right? At the beginning of the new creation, the word became flesh, a new Adam. In communion, we remember that the body and blood of this new Adam, Jesus Christ, through that body, God creates his bride, the church, and the many become one just as the two become one. So there's a profound mystery in the reflection of of the nature of Christ's relationship with the church between the relationship of husband and wife. In Genesis 1, God, it, marriage reflects God's image. In the first telling of creation of humanity, it says, God actually, God says, let us create, uses the plural, right? Let us create humankind in our image. 
So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created the male and female, he created them. And I want to ask this, what if being created in the image of God has more to do with our participation in intimate community than it does with our identity as individuals? All growing up, I heard, you're made in the image of God. You're made in the image of God. And I heard, Jonathan is made in the image of God. What if reflecting the image of God is seen most clearly in our relationships with each other? Because that's the nature of God himself, epitomized by marriage. The institution of marriage has always been messy and challenged. Always. We need to ground our marriages in the presence, character, and nature of the living God. Covenantal, agape love, chesed love, the community as imago Dei, as the image of God, and not on fears about threats to marriage on the one hand, or idyllic memories of marriage in bygone days. We need to make Christ the foundation. Will you pray with me? God, we admit to being scared sometimes. Our culture has changed rapidly and the temptation for us is to hide or to fight, uh, to throw stones or to build walls. We worry about our kids. We worry, to, we worry about our, our morals. Uh, but God, release us from the fears that are based on our loss of power. Help us instead to be like your son and give up that power of our own accord to pour ourselves out for the very world that is different than us. Help us instead of throwing stones or building walls uh, to build bridges uh, and to go and live. We can be different but to live lives of love that do attract uh, people like your son attracted folks. Uh, so that the very broken, the, the most broken among us or the most broken in our community, rather than feeling threatened or judged, uh, instead feel your profound love. At the same time, God, we do want to somehow um, build better foundations on you that our families, our marriages would reflect uh, not some TV version or Victorian era, era British version of idyllic marriage, but it would reflect your covenant, your deep love, uh, your very nature and character. Jesus, thank you so much for your grace. We pray all of this in your name. Amen.